before creation breathed its first breath and all there was to be was not yet you were seated there on your throne high and glorious god alone you're the one i worship and adore every moment leaves me wanting more in your presence i am overcome i sing your praise at the top of my lungs yes you
Good morning, Carpenter's Way. Why don't you guys stand up on your feet, find somebody and tell them good morning. You are amazing. I got who's unchanging. You're always unfailing. The beginning and the end. You are amazing.
Well, good morning, Carpenter's Way. It is uh, wonderful to see you this morning. We have a very packed day, and we're glad that you're here uh, with us this morning. Or if you're watching by way of Internet, welcome, welcome, welcome. We are uh, going to have a good time in the Word, some more worship. Uh, but before we jump there, I have a few announcements that I want to make. Uh, we want to welcome some new members in, uh, Josh and Heather Harrison and Kyle and Lauren Manley. Uh, great to have them joining our church. I've had some others ask, when is our next new members class? That will be sometime either uh, either in June or July. We have yet to set a date for that, but we will very soon. Hey, I want to encourage you to take some time to look at your worship guide. There is tons of really important announcements in here from preteen camp to uh, children's ministry, vacation Bible school, student camp, graduation service here. Uh, lots of really, really important stuff. Uh, I want to highlight uh, a couple things, um, and that is immediately following this service, we're going to take about a five-minute break, and then we're going to have a church meeting. That will not be on the Internet or recorded. Um, uh, we're going to share some things with you that we're very excited about, so we would encourage you uh, to stay during the 11 o'clock hour, uh, not just for members, for those who uh, attend here regularly. We're excited about sharing some things with you uh, as it relates to our facility and uh, so uh, that's at 11 o'clock this morning. So we'll have uh, communion, and then when we're done, we'll take like a five- or six-minute break, and then uh, we'll come back in here. So I would, like I said, I'd encourage you to stay and just see how things work here, even if you're visiting with us. But uh, we're awfully glad to have you here again. Um, uh, let's see, what other things do I need to highlight? Uh, family meeting, I, new members. Oh, we have a concert coming up. You want to talk about the concert? And then Jack Stevenson's going to come up and then Jack's going to come up. Why don't you come on up, Jack? Okay, so um, you guys may may not know uh, Nancy and Ron and Teresa, their so nephew, cousin, Richie Fike. He wrote uh, a few songs that we sing. Uh, we Believe, really great song that we've been doing for a while. Uh, God Who Moves the Mountains, God You Reign. Uh, we did one of his uh, songs during the Easter program, uh, We Will Not Forget. So he's going to be here on the 27th, and he's going to actually lead worship for us that morning during service and then that night uh, if you guys remember we've done some worship nights in the past it's kind of that same feel so they're going to do kind of just a worship night it's a concert technically but it's more I mean they're a worship that's what they do they lead worship and so they're not going to be here you know kind of to entertain you it's going to be a worship night so that's going to be the 27th at six o'clock about your friends it's community-wide uh, anybody that wants to come there's no charge nothing like that just come in and we're going to just sing together for about an hour or so and they're really really good you guys are going to love them so all right. Uh, Jack, why don't you come on up? Jack, as you know, runs security at Carpenter's Way. And, and for those of you who, let me give some context, we're a family that meets in a, a, a big old brick facility. That's all we are. If you could fit in my living room, well, I'd be having a second job. But, but, but we, would, we would do the same things. We'd worship together and take care of each other and protect each other. And uh, so that's what we gather. We gather around God's word and all. And uh, one of the things we do is we take care of each other and we protect our kids. And uh, we've shored that up over the past few years. And uh, Jack has been making some changes by way of scheduling. We have, what, like 40 people that are involved in our security? 46 people. And we want to thank you for volunteering for all that. That's been a... Did, did you just clap for yourselves? Let's just pat the person on the back in front of you. Just go ahead and do that. I just, we are really a cool family. Anyway, um, every once in a while, uh, tweaks need to be made, and Jack's going to make some, as making some significant ones, and there's some confusion. So instead of calling a meeting, I asked him to take about five minutes, and he's going to share some things with you. So, Jack? That's your spot. That's your spot. 
So uh, for those of you that want to join the team, you're able to join twice a year. So we just had one a couple months ago. Can you hear me now? Okay. Good. Okay. So if you want to join the security team, we do it twice a year now. Uh, I think the next one's going to be coming up around September-ish, August, September-ish. Okay, so check the worship guide for that. For those of you that are already on the team, there's some changes that are, had to be made to the schedule because more people that joined. So if you don't have the app that we use, there's going to be a hard copy at the computer terminal uh, in here in front of the Kids Connection sometime this week. It's going to be the only two places you can look at the schedule. So make sure you know when you work. Make sure you can cover it. If you can't, just do what we normally do. Um, I think that's it. Thank you. <laughs> you start making your way to the light. It's really addictive, let me tell you. Um, so again, it's, it's important. Uh, one of the cool things that most of us have, regardless of ages now, except for two or three of you, is these smartphones. And so it allows us to keep ministries going and keep people informed without having lots and lots of meetings. Because what you don't need in your life is more meetings. You know what I'm saying? So um, we would encourage you, uh, if you're on the security team, you got to get that app so that you can talk to each other and fill in the gaps. Um, we have, for a church that's about 1,100, we have a small staff. And uh, uh, so this is one of the ways we compensate for that. We don't want to have to have a full-time security guy. And, and so we, we depend on each other to do these things. I mean, it's pretty incredible that you have like 43 or something like that security folks and all these positions and children. You are act very, very active, and I want to thank you for that. It honors the Lord. It keeps us safe and all. Um, but please, again, it's uh, that's so. There's going to be a hard copy of the schedule. It's a new schedule. It'll be next to the kids outside of the Kids Connection Center. So make sure you grab that. Get the app if you don't have it. If if you don't know about the app, then hit up Jack. You'll see him. He's the guy in the uniform today, um, and and he can help you get it on your phone. Those are the places you need to go uh, to communicate about that, not necessarily the office, uh, because the latest information is from him. So, so uh, just to keep things rolling that way. So that's all for the announcements right now. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward at this time as we prepare for our offering. Giving context to that, we support the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. That represents about 6,500 missionaries internationally that reach people for Jesus and plant churches. Uh, on top of that, we as a church have about 15 different organizations or individuals that we support on the mission field. Uh, I think right now it's about 16% uh, of our budget that goes towards missions, short-term and full-term. And uh, that increased last year from about 10% to, to that amount, and we're excited about that. And uh, so your giving goes not beyond just supporting lights and staff and children's ministry and stuff we do here into international serving the Lord and and so as you give now having said that if this is not your church home we ask that you not give this is for those of us who attend regularly so uh, as we give faithfully the Lord allows us to pay our bills so thank you and uh, so pass the plate as it comes by if you're not part of our family <clears throat> we're just glad you're here father we thank you for uh, allowing us to gather together in safety and we thank you for Jack and his team that keep us safe while we're in here <clears throat> lord we're thankful for how you've blessed us as a church that our bills are paid and uh, our missionaries are being supported and uh, father you've been so good to us thank you that it's comfortable in here this morning um, thank you for the family that you've given us and that we could enjoy each other lord jesus we ask you to continue to bless us we ask you to continue to bless us as we bless others
I pray that we as a church would have a heart for the lost and a heart for the struggling and hurting. Um, Father, for those that are rich and poor, for those um, who are from East Texas or from New York City, Father, that our hearts would be to share the gospel with all in need and who are desperate for you. So, Lord, as we turn our face away from the business of church to you, as we have communion this morning, as we open your word, it's my prayer that you bless us in our time together. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.
is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall. He determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. captive free we will exalt you our God the King and over all the earth we will see be enthroned with our worship to you by the praise that you'll do 
Uh, let's start by praying together. Lord, I thank you that our soul's problem, uh, sin, separation from you, an enemy of God, Colossians says, has been solved through your son on the cross. And that uh, those of us who have confessed with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, who believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, are saved. It is a past tense, forevermore statement. We have been made right with God by declaration of Him. Satan can no longer affect our soul. But we do get our feet dirty. Our bodies are clean, but our feet are dirty. So teach us how to live here now. Thank you, Father. Now, spur us on to love and good deeds. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. In our time to, uh, that we have before communion this morning, I um, wanted to carry over kind of the big idea of last week's message from 1 Samuel 19 and 20. Uh, if, you, if you remember, uh, the crux of the text in our discussion and our Bible study discussion was about the friendship that Jonathan and David had for each other, where Jonathan was even willing to risk his relationship with his father and his own life in order to take care of David. I think, I think basically our summary could be wrapped up in the words of David and Bathsheba's son Solomon, what he wrote in Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, when he said, two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. While this passage of scripture is often used in messages and uh, uh, 
around weddings or marriage relationships. It always kind of freaks me out in those services when they read this because they even read three are better than two for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. That always kind of messes with my head a little bit because this really isn't about marriage. It's about friendship. It's about, it's about having each other's back, as we often say. We saw this in action in last week's relationship when Jonathan, uh, when Jonathan's dad, King Saul of the Hebrews, decides to kill David and actually asks, asks his son Jonathan to participate in the murder. He talks to Jonathan and also his, uh, his personal guard and send them out to kill David. But Jonathan chooses to protect David because he knows his father is in the wrong and he has made a friendship vow with this man that they would take care of each other and watch each other. Jonathan didn't believe his father would do such a thing. So he actually sets out in last week's text to, text to, to test his father to see how sincere he is. And he finds out that he wants to, to he, he actually, he is adamant and he is absolutely committed to killing David. So Jonathan, as you know, as we've already talked about, chooses to protect David, even if it means standing against his own father, the king of the nation that he's a part of. I pointed out last week that David isn't the only one that God had gifted in history with human companionship or friendship of this level. And I pointed out that the Father had actually given this kind of relationship even to Jesus. We talked about Peter, James, and John. Despite having hundreds of people, and I, I know we don't talk about this a lot in the church because when we talk about the disciples, we think of the 12, but there were actually hundreds that followed Jesus and considered themselves his disciples. Of the hundreds, he picked 12 that he would absolutely pour him, himself into. And of the 12, he picked three. Those three were unique because those would be the people that he would pour out even his own struggles and his own difficulties with. Those three consisted of Peter, James, and John. And you remember that the night he was betrayed, he asked them to pray for me, pulled them aside and said, bear this with me, sit with me. My point is that besides the Father having adopted us, the Son having paid for our adoption and the Holy Spirit living within us and having the Word of God at our disposal to guide and direct, the fact is that there is... The next most important gift God has given us is each other. And I don't mean by each other, I don't mean, I don't mean the whole group here. That is a gift, and we worship together, and we spur each other on. But I'm talking about within the group, there are going to be people in your life that God provides to, to come alongside of you, to encourage you, to be the Jonathan in your life, to protect you, to spur you on. This morning, I'd like to go from the idea that we saw last week, the idea of having a Jonathan in your life, and we saw it modeled to actually looking, what, uh, looking in the New Testament, under a New Testament relationship, what that looked like. Now, I want to say this uh, as well before we dive into our text this morning. It's a familiar text. In fact, I've probably preached on it three or four times while I'm here. But I've got to tell you, there are certain texts that you should actually, there's not a text in Scripture that you shouldn't revisit and eat more fruit off that tree because it, some, are, some just have more uh, power in our lives. And in fact, this one it does because Jesus actually says in this New Testament passage, I want you to understand over time what I'm doing so that you can imitate me. So this story that we're going to look at this morning is actually turns into an instruction. I want you to understand, though, that while we get into this text, we're actually talking about taking care of each other in more ways than a simple doctrinal conversation, but actually having each other's back in life. We know it is well with our souls, but we don't know that it's well in our lives. And so that's why God has given us each other. This kind of care actually became a command for us in John 13. 
And so if you'll take your Bibles and turn there, uh, you'll catch up with us. I'm going to start in verse 1, and I want to I read this familiar story. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. So take a breath. I know some of you are turning in your Bibles there. I want you to understand what's going on in Jesus' mind, because it tells us that he knew his time was short on the earth that it's time to go back to the Father. So that's what on Jesus, what's on Jesus' mind. And what's he thinking about? It tells us right here, and this is important. He had loved his disciples during his ministry here on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of uh, Simon Iscariot, to, bestri- to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and it would return to God. Now, I want you to catch what we just read because this is the part of the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet that we often jump over to get to what we consider the meat. But it tells us Jesus' mindset. Jesus is fully aware that his time of actually taking care of the disciples had come to an end, physically. He was about to take care of them spiritually, but up to this point, I want you to really grasp that Jesus protected these guys. You will remember this specifically in what's going to happen in the next 12 hours. Because even when he's in the garden and they come to arrest Jesus, you will remember that when, they, when the people who come to arrest him start pulling their swords, there's hundreds. It's believed that there were six or seven hundred of them. Jesus says, after asking him why they brought so many and interacting with them, he actually says, you need to let these people go because they're not why you're here. And Jesus protects them, and they do, in fact, let the disciples run off. And then they arrest Jesus. It's a fascinating thing, but I want you to realize that Jesus was not only concerned with their souls. That was going to take care of. It is well with our souls, but he was also concerned with their life that they would be living the rest of their lives here on earth. Jesus up to this point had fed them. He had taught them. He directed them where to sleep at night. He told them where they were going to go. He taught them about his father. But while he's doing that, he's very parental in how he cares for them. But now that he's leaving them, he's about to pass the torch of care and protection on. Verse 4. So, with those things in mind, the fact that he's leaving, he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and he poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but you someday will. So we know that there's a lesson deeper than washing going on. This is interesting to me because this should have been a clue when Jesus says, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but you're going to. This should have been Peter's clue to shut up and just watch what Jesus does, but he doesn't. And in classic rabbinical fashion, as rabbis would teach, Jesus actually continues this lesson by action. But Peter, oh, Peter, no, Peter protested. He can't keep his mouth shut. He's very markish. Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, well, unless I wash you, you don't belong to me. Uh Uh-oh. At which time, in a very Mark Wilkie-like fashion, Peter responds, Then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord. Let's take a shower. Peter can't stop talking. Jesus replied, A person who's been bathed all over doesn't need to wash 
except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again, and he sat down and he asked, do you understand what I was doing? Obviously, the answer here is no. We don't get it. Peter's still freaked out because Jesus washed his feet. Because he wasn't really asking, do you understand that you need good hygiene? He was actually making a statement. And here it goes. Verse 13. You call me teacher and master or Lord. And you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and rabbi, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow, so do as I've done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is a messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. And so the ordinance of foot washing was born. Wrong. That's wrong. This wasn't about clean feet. It was about when you take in, into consideration what's on Jesus' mind, and you take into consideration what he's doing and how he responds to a pushback from Peter, you begin to realize that this is about sin, dirt, life, eternal relationship with God, whether it's not it's well with your soul. And Peter actually gets Jesus to explain that you've all been washed, well, except for that guy over there. You're all clean, but your feet are dirty. Now, just so that you understand, this was actually a very usual practice. That's why it's not about foot washing. The roads were dirty with open sewages in the street. And when you would go into a home to dine, part of the responsibility of the host would be to offer a servant to wash the feet of those attending. What is unusual here is Jesus, their master and Lord and rabbi, has dismissed the servant of the home that surely would have been offered to them that night and taken his place by serving them with the washing of their feet, the lowest of all service-oriented ministries by a paid servant. This was not about feet washing, though. And that's why he said they really wouldn't understand here now, but they would later. It's not really my intention here to explain everything. I've already kind of gone into it. And I've preached this text several times to you before. So I'm not going to get deeply theological. But as I've already mentioned, I want you to understand that when Jesus and Peter talk about being clean, he's talking about it being well with our soul, with their souls. And Jesus is saying, I've washed you, and I'm really going to finish that washing in the next 24 hours. That's not the problem. All of you are clean except for that guy, but your feet are dirty. And up to this point, I've cleaned your feet. The picture and point of this text is found in verse 15, which I think is the key. I have given you an example to follow. Now go do as I've done to you. Not to everybody, but to each other. Do as I've done to you. Jesus was about to deal with their sin problem, but now, like we looked at in Ecclesiastes 4, they would need to help each other succeed in life, they would need to pick each other up when they fell. They would need to keep and get each other out of trouble. They would need to keep each other warm. And they would need to stand back to back in battle. And up to this point, for the three years that they walked with him, Jesus had done that for them. When they were out of line, he rebuked them. When they were freaking out, he would calm them. When they didn't know where to sleep, he told them where to rest. 
when they, were, when they weren't sure what to do next, he directed them. You don't think about it, but Jesus guided them physically and spiritually as they walked with him. Because God isn't unconcerned about living. He is not unconcerned. He is not just concerned with your soul. And that was one of the problems of the teachings in Jesus' time. That God only deals with spiritual things, and the flesh is just, it's just, a, it's just a shadow. It's not real. And Jesus actually cared for their physical needs as well. In fact, you remember that they were panicking one day, and the book of Matthew records, Jesus told them, don't worry about what you eat or what you'll wear. Look at the birds around you. I've take, my Father's taking care of them. If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these other things are going to take care of themselves. And part of how they took care of themselves is they cared for each other. And Jesus was modeling in this room something that was usually hired out to take care of, but he's saying, now we need to take care of this for each other. There are four practical things that I want to I, I share with you that I see in this text. That if you want to be a Jonathan, that you need to duplicate that Jesus did. Four things to emulate. I want to remind you that what we're talking about here is taking care of each other knowing that it is well with our soul. The fact is that when you got saved, you didn't go home like that. And you and I are living a very real life. And that life is full of stress and fear and temptation and panic and everything that comes with the human experience. Outside of the, the family of God, there is also cancer. But there's cancer inside of the family of God. Outside of the, God, outside of the family of God, there's poverty. But inside the family of God, there's poverty. Outside the family of God, you still aren't sure how to deal with your stupid husband. But outside of the family of God, you pay a bartender to talk with you. Inside the family of God, we wash each other's feet. It's what we're supposed to do. Because no matter how, many time, how much comfort we have in this world, and no matter how... Um, normal it feels to us, you in fact and I in fact are an alien and stranger in this world. When we became the children of God and he put his Holy Spirit within us, our value system changed. The way our worldview is changing. Sanctification is not merely about, and that's that term that we use in the church, for those of you who didn't grow up in the church, sanctification is being, it means being set apart, being unique, living differently than the world. And in the church that we've grown up in, predominantly we only talk about sanctification in terms of sin and not sinning. And I want you to understand that sanctification isn't just about sin and not sin. Your sin has been dealt with. It's about worldview and how you interact with people and how you see people. My fear in the church today is one of my fears. And I'm just, I'm just a part of the problem too. But having said that is the church has a tendency to follow the world in fixing prejudices. The church was neck deep, and the Southern Baptist Convention was a part of it, and they've confessed it, so it's not a secret. But the church was a part of the problem when it came to, to, to separating races, to prejudice. The church even took Scripture from the Old Testament out of context to endorse treating people of color wrongly. And finally, the church is waking up to that. But here's the problem. If we deal with racial reconciliation the same way as the world deals with racial reconciliation, then we're acting like we're just like the world, and we are not. At everything we do, Jesus Christ has to be at the center of what we do and who we are. We come together as the children of God, not just as people who go to church together. 
We come together not as East Texans. We come together as the children of the most holy one, the one who lives within us and transforms us. The problem is that as I walk through life, I forget that on a regular basis. You will leave here today after our business meeting, which you're all going to attend. You will, you need to stand. Wait, that was, that was Star Trek, and I was about to do Star Wars. <laughs> wow, what a crisis. The, the, the truth is that you will walk out of here even being moved by the Holy Spirit and Satan will present you something stupid that will send you right back into what you were before. And even if you don't do that, Satan is going to throw in your lap or in your mind sins of your past that is going to keep you feeling shame and guilt instead of moving you forward. If you are a racist that is a child of God, you can't undo what you've done in the past, but you can certainly change now. Confess your sins to one another and move on. But if the church stays in this, um, uh, this last week, uh, oh gosh, I just don't know how deep I want to go in this. The church, uh, when I grew up, let me put it like this. The church that I grew up in, in the time that I grew up, would tell a woman who's being abused by her husband based on Ephesians chapter 5 that she should go home and pray for him. That is bull poop. The church is excusing evil. And see, the husband needs to be confronted by the elders of the church for his sin. That's the biblical model. And not only that, that woman needs to sue her husband for divorce if he doesn't repent and change immediately. But there was a time in church history when we said, uh, when it was very common for that. And, and I know this personally because I've counseled a lot of children who grew up in homes of elders and deacons who were abusive. And they told people and they didn't do anything to protect them. We are here to work as a family. Like Jonathan protected David from his dad, we protect each other from evil, especially if they claim to be believers, right? Well, my fear is that as we move and try to reconcile things of the past, that that becomes our obsession, whether it's racial reconciliation or trying to ask for forgiveness over stupid misogyny that we've done in the past. We can't change what was done 20, 50, 100, or 150 years ago, but we can make sure it never happens again. And you know how the body of Christ does that? Not by setting a new litmus test of things we won't do, but by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The reason the church has been screwed up throughout history with teaching like drinking's a sin, and I'm not a drinker, but saying things that aren't true is because they took their eyes off of Jesus and placed it on the thing that they think is the biggest problem. The answer to every problem in the church, in the life of the believer, is Jesus Christ. He is the answer. Are you a racist? Get your eyes off yourself and the color of people's skin. Put it on Jesus. You will fall in love with them as Jesus loves them. Are you prejudiced against uh, whatever, whatever it is you're struggling with? Are you, uh, I don't know, the examples don't matter. You know what I'm talking about. If you are struggling in a marriage because you don't like your wife, Put your eyes on Jesus. Pray for her if there's abuse. And by the way, there's an unbelievable high statistic of men who are being abused by their wives too. It doesn't just go one way. They are to be held accountable for that. And the church is involved in that. We confront sin. That's part of washing each other's feet. We work together. You confront that sin. If it doesn't stop, we go by Matthew 18. We go back to that person with somebody else. If they don't listen, you take it to the church. And that's what we do. We confront sin. That's feet washing. Somebody's soul might be well because of what Jesus did on the cross. But if you're sleeping around, your feet are really stinky. And here's the funny thing. 
every one of us in this room, except for me. I didn't even tell you what I'm the exception of yet, but you were right to laugh. Everybody in this, in this room has blind spots and gets stupid, every one of us. And we think we're doing right because we feel like it's right. That's why we've got to have more than salvation and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. We've got to have people who take off their robe, wrap a cloth around their waist, and get down in the stink of our feet. And before I get into these four things, and it's going to be real quick, if I would have told you, and I've, I've said this before, so it's old news to most of you, but if I would have told you last Sunday that we were going to wash your feet this morning, about half of you just had a par partial coronary. What is the last thing you would have done before you came to church this morning? And I want you to ask, tell me, why would you have washed your feet last thing before you come here? Because your feet stink. And you don't want anybody, you don't, most of you would have spent money yesterday getting a pedicure. <laughs> and I'm just talking about the guys. <laughs> you don't want people touching your feet. Why? Because we want people, I, I mean, it's really stupid too because we all know our feet are kind of unattractive. I mean, they're just feet. They're just, and they get sm smelly and they just, you know, it's, it's funny, but we all have the same problem, but we act like it's so shocking. And, and we want people to think our feet are the most beautiful feet ever in the world. And so we fake it. I want to say that I think Satan has done that to us with each other. We, we spend most of our time pretending. And, and, and one of the problems I have, and look, uh, somebody informed me this morning that I don't look dressed for preaching. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but you will pay. One week, no prayer for you. But, but the, the fact is, the, the fact is that we dress up in order to look like each other so that we're all covering up the reality. You know what I'm saying? Well, that's not why we dressed up. We dressed up for respect for God. Maybe we should behave differently. Maybe that shows respect for God. You know, maybe when we were all wearing suits to church, we should have thought more of people with color and less on what we wore on Sunday morning. You know? I mean, maybe that's more important, but that's a different message for a different day. You know my point is we don't want to have our feet washed. I'm not sure which is worse, to be truthful with you. I'm not sure if it's easier to have your feet washed or to be the foot washer because there's a lot of risk in that. And that takes me to the four things that I think Jesus did in this. The first thing is, is he loved these guys more than he loved his own rights. I mean, when he walked into the room, verse 1 tells us, I mean, he... He, he's the Lord. He identifies himself as Lord and Master. There was probably, it's, it's reasonable to believe that, that there was a servant that was paid to wash feet. Jesus probably dismissed him. How do I know that? Because it says that he sent a couple disciples ahead into the upper room to make preparations. This would have been part of the preparations for the Passover feast. Do you remember that the seven days prior to fast, Passover, seven days prior to Passover, they would have a, a, a house cleansing. Every house would prepare for it by making sure there was no yeast. And it took them seven days. Because yeast was the picture of sin. One of the reasons why every Passover meal in traditional times would have had a washing of feet is because the only thing left dirty in the house is people. It was a normal tradition to have your feet washed when people came for dinner, but it was even more important at the Passover meal. So Jesus probably walked in and said, you can have the night off. I'm going to take care of this. I'm sure you're fully aware that the servant who did it was the least servant in the house, probably the youngest probably the shepherd boy like David, maybe the kid who nobody thought much of. He was the one who would wash feet. 
But I want you to understand why Jesus did this from 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Another not wedding love story. Love is patient and it's kind. It's not jealous or boastful or proud. It doesn't demand its own way. That's what Jesus did. It's not irritable and keeps no record of being wronged. It doesn't rejoice about injustices, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful and it endures through every circumstance. Jesus had loved and taken care of them from the moment he had invited them to be his followers and invited them to be his personal disciples. And now that he's leaving, they would need to fill that gap. They would need to wash each other's feet as he had been washing theirs. So he got up from the table, verse 4 says, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around him. The second thing I want to point out is he didn't ask permission to do it. It was the right thing to do. He just went for it. Jesus had been walking with these people a long time. This is a warning. This does not give you permission if you sit on this side of the room every week to walk over to somebody you never talked to on this side of the room and walk over to them and confront their sin. Jesus had been walking with these guys for three years. He had the right to blow their mind. Heck, if you look at his teaching, the disciples are finally like, we have no idea what you're talking about. He was constantly teaching them. They were constantly recommitting themselves to him. They were constantly walking, but he had earned relationally, he had earned the right to speak to them. Again, we're not talking about 10,000 people here or even 500 people on a Sunday morning. We're talking about a few people that Jesus had spent time with. And I encourage you to find a Jonathan. God puts these people around you. You have Jonathans, but you've got to be willing to take your robe off and serve people. He didn't ask permission. He went for it because it was the right thing to do. The third thing that st- stood out to me is that when, Pete, when uh, Jesus is pushed back by Peter, he doesn't even get argument or argumentative. There are times in the Gospels where you see Jesus' t- blood pressure go up a little bit. This isn't one of them. When Peter says to him, you're not going to wash any part of me, Jesus just kind of looks at him and says, well, then you can't be part of me. At which time Peter freaks out. I mean, he, he's just having a conversation. He's not defensive. He's not arguing doctrine. He just simply lays it out. If I don't get to wash you, Peter, if I'm not your servant, you don't get any part of me. This is the words. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, verse 6 says, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm going to do but someday you will. Talking about having a high view of yourself. Peter's watched him wash the other disciples' feet, and his question has emphasized me. You are going to wash my feet? Oh, no. I understand you washing everybody else's feet, especially John, but not mine. I should wash your feet. No, Peter protested. You will never wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you don't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. And Jesus replied, a person who's been bathed all over doesn't need to wash, except for his feet to be entirely clean. Jesus didn't apologize for doing the right thing, he didn't, uh, but he did risk being misunderstood. You see, I think there's so much fear in the church today for us to be Jonathans to each other or actually wash each other's feet that we've moved away from it. And we've even bought into the world's lie that we don't judge each other. You know that's a lie, right? Actually, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that the truth is we don't judge the world. That's where we've got it wrong. But isn't it easy to sit in here on a Sunday morning and talk about how stupid Hollywood is? Or how dumb those abortion doctors are. You know why it's easy to do that in here? Because they're not in here. Too often we sit as churches in in 
circular seats or looking at each other and pastors get up here and they whoop you up by saying things that you already know to be true. They're lost. And we give examples so that we, we grow in anger and hate for the very world that we're supposed to tell, tell them that Jesus loves. 1 Corinthians actually tells us that we don't judge the lost, but we do very much judge inside the church. We take care of each other. We watch each other's back because every one of us in this room, I, I'm not going to say is part heretic, but is, but is wrong about stuff. Every one of us. There are some of you in this room that are passionate for end times things. And you listen to John Hagee every week for when the next opportunity for the Lord to return is. Woo! I just want you to know that God doesn't need John Hagee's permission to come back. And God isn't worried and listening to all of us argue whether he's pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, a-mill, post-mill, no-mill. He's not worried about how the Armageddon is going to work out of the Battle of Armageddon or how many red blood moons there are. God's not worried about that because he is the one that carries the clock. And instead of looking at each other for secrets so that we know when to max out our credit cards, if you're a banker, sorry about that, we know the secret. But instead of trying to control our lives and find out when the Lord might return, maybe we should just walk with God, wash each other's feet, and let God take care of when he's going to return. For some of you, you're involved in studies of demonology and angelology, and you love that. And that's a good study, but it may distract you. For people like me, I love the message of grace and freedom. And sometimes I probably go too far uh, forgetting that there's a, there's a call also to holiness, and you've got to remind me of that. It's why we wash each other's feet. We have relationships. You see, the church wasn't supposed to be one-way communication like we do right now. It's supposed to be like Bible study or, or small groups where we communicate with each other. Because as you communicate, you know where each other are. What are, the, what are the fears and concerns? Even how they affect doctrine and God. You know, we do that in about 95% of our Bible studies here. From our student ministry all the way up through adulthood. What we do is we put you in small rooms with people so that you can share what's going on in your world in light of Scripture. And most of you are studying it in light of this. And, and uh, you, you get into a room and you discuss how can we wash each other's feet and what does that look like? It's very safe to sit here right here because you can just think and reflect. And even if you're convicted by the Holy Spirit for change in your life, you don't have to tell anybody. And I think that's wrong. I think it's wrong. And I'd like you to know that I've spent a lot of my Christian life keeping that to myself. But in recent months, I'm changing I'm starting to share with my wife some of my fears and some of my concerns. And if, here's the funny thing. She already knew them. I'm fortunate to have some Jonathans in my life I can share, but I want you to know that in, a, in the last month, and I'm, I'm saying this because I want you to understand that this is how it's supposed to function. I've even had an elder come to me in the last six weeks and say, I don't like how you say this. I agree with it, but maybe you need to say it differently. So I told him off and walked out. Actually, I didn't do that. I said, you're right. Because if I'm not willing to have somebody wash my feet, what's the point in having this? I mean, the problem is, as we've been discussing over the last month and a half, is we've turned Christianity into a superstar sport. We listen to our favorite preacher, even if they're great, from Matthew Chandler to, to John MacArthur to some of you, maybe Beth Moore. And these are all wonderful teachers, and boy, do they know the word, and boy, do they teach the word well. They're right in about 85% of the time. But this was never supposed to be just about doctrine. It was supposed to be about washing each other's feet. It was supposed to be about relationships. You see, God made us family for a reason. Not just so we had an image, but so we could take care of each other. Not so we could argue about styles of music 
or how long the preacher preaches or what style he preaches in or whether or not we like whatever, we are supposed to gather so that we can look into each other's eyes two or three at a time. Say, how are you? I'm fine. You're lying. I know you. What's going on? I don't know. Yes, you do. Let's talk. That's washing each other's feet. Jesus loved them more than he loved his own rights, so he chose to wash their feet and dismiss the servant. Second, he didn't ask permission to wash their feet. He just went for it because it was the right thing to do. The third thing was when he was pushed back by Peter, Jesus didn't argue or get defensive. He simply spoke the truth. You've got to let me serve you. And fourth, this is a big one. Jesus modeled this caring servitude because he wanted them to imitate it. In verse 13, Jesus says, You call me teacher, rabbi, and Lord. And you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Now do as I've done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Not just them, but us. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, Paul says this, You should imitate me as I imitate Christ. This is another not popular thing to say. But the truth is that even though it is well with our souls and our freedom is so scandalous that you can blow your life up, we should actually live lives that others can imitate. The the way we go about life, our kids should want to duplicate or should know that it's wise to duplicate. The way we interact with each other, the way we treat people that we in the past have been prejudiced against, the way we interact politically, the things that we post on Facebook, those should be the things that our kids can emulate. Jesus is saying to them, as I have done to you, now you should do to each other. We should learn to accept the fact that our lives, adults, should be able to be copied. Paul is saying, you should imitate me, Paul, as I imitate Christ. And you know, if I actually walked around here and said, what is one thing you do really well that everybody else should do? You would hide under the chair like Jack this morning. You wouldn't do that. It's, that's arrogant. It's not arrogance. It's faithfulness. If you are living under the power of the Holy Spirit so that others can see Christ in you, that's not arrogance. It's holiness. And in our freedom, we've walked away from doing that. We don't choose holiness. We get bumper stickers, as I've said over the past few weeks, that say, not perfect, just forgiven. That's code for, don't expect much from me today. The way we treat the waitress who doesn't bring us uh, enough sweet tea should be different than the way the world treats the waitress who doesn't bring them enough sweet tea. The way you treat your contractor should be different than the way the world treats their contractor. And if it's not... You're out of line. Because it isn't about having great service. The way we react to a president, the way we react to a political agenda, the way we react to people who disagree with us should be different than the way the world acts. And the way we treat each other should be different than how we treat each other at some other club meeting. Because we, my friends, are the family of God, inhabited by the Holy Spirit, adopted by the blood of Christ into God's family. And Jesus here is telling us to take care of each other. 1 John 2, 6, 
is pretty convicting. You see, while you grew up and I grew up and have been to church and pastors keep telling you to quit sinning, actually, Scripture says you should either be washing somebody's feet or they should be washing yours. Your obsession over sin and my obsession over sin and the church's obsession over sin has actually taken our eyes off of Jesus. Do you know that? You see, how I treat somebody again of color should be affected by the fact that the Holy Spirit lives within me who made that person of color. Their worth is not founded by a statement from the United States of America or the government or laws or a moral transition in our culture. Their value comes from the king of kings who created them in his image. The value of a homosexual doesn't come from them doing things the moral way that God would tell us we should do them, but they come from the fact that God created them. Therefore, our ministry to them should not be one of hate, but of love. Well, they're not reacting to love. I didn't know it was your job to make them react. You see, our job is only to tell people about Jesus and be witness to what we've experienced, not to try to convince people at gunpoint that they should live like us. Do you know who's really successful at living like Jesus without really knowing him? Mormons. I mean, they say a lot of the right things, but they, they believe salvation is through your involvement in the ward. They only believe about a dozen people are even going to be in hell. The rest is you just work it out over time. I want you to know you can't work this one out over time. It's through the blood of Christ that there is forgiveness of sin and the declaration of God. It is by confessing with your mouth, you become part of his family, you become his child, and we become part of the body of Christ. It's just that Satan has got us stuck in not the third thing, the body, the family. We keep thinking that what we do as we gather is learn more about God when we actually are also learning a lot more about each other. We're supposed to be in each other's lives, knowing each other. And I want to tell you something that some of you here are doing that amazing. You have, okay, so uh, I'm almost done and then we'll have communion, but I want to go around the end. I have been hearing since I was a youth pastor, I'm not going to that church that's too clicky. If I hear that one more time, I'm going to bleed out of my eyeballs. Nobody was more clicky than Jesus. Of hundreds, he picked 12. Of 12, he picked three. Everybody was invited, but there were three he poured his life into and actually became vulnerable to. He didn't ask the crowds to let him wash their feet. He chose 12. Well, what about the other three million living at that time? Did he select by his sovereignty to reject them? Would you quit asking stupid questions? He chose the 12. He chose three. And we are not talking about washing everybody's feet in this room. I am not going to listen to most of you confront me on my marriage because you don't know my marriage. But there are people in this room that have seen me with my wife, watch me with my wife or my kids. In the past month, there were two specific questions that I had that I didn't really know the answer to. They weren't really black and white. They were kind of gray moral things, and I gathered some men that I trust and asked them what they would do. And in both occasions, I was surprised at their answers. Both times, this group of godly men told me the opposite of, of, what, they, of, of what I thought they would say. And in both occasions, I listened to them. Why? Because i got to have people washing my stinky feet. And I have not had a pedicure since I was in Vegas about 15 years ago with my brother. I still to this day don't know why I did it. I know some of you do. I'm not going to call Van Watson out right now. I've seen pictures on the internet. <laughs> Sometimes you do what your kids want you to do. I understand that. 
It's my wife's birthday this week. I said, if you're going to get a manicure and a pedicure and you want me to go with you, I will go sit. And there was some talk of getting a pedicure. I don't want anybody touching my feet unless I know them personally. Do you get it? And you understand, right? So if we want to be the church, we're going to have to be the church. I'm going to have to wash Kip's stinky feet. And I'm going to have to risk going up to Kip and saying, Kip, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Mark. Everything at Consolidated is as good as it could be. About to be a manager. Blah, 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 blah. Hey, Kip, you're lying to me. I know him well enough to say that, don't I, Kip? Because he said it to me. The same with four or five other guys in this church. I have two elders that have been chasing me this last year to say, how are you doing? And I hate that question. I just, I'm just so used to looking out, and I've had to work at that, and I've told both of them, thank you for asking. I'm going to try to be open. I didn't know I wasn't being open. It's so foreign to me. But if I want to be healthy, as God wants me healthy, I'm going to have to stop being like Peter and let people wash my feet. Because I'm actually pretty good at washing yours. It's not hard for me. I'm built this way. You know that. Mark's a jerk, but I think he loves us. It's just the scripture. It's not complicated. Even talking to you one-on-one. -on -one, it is amazing how, in time... My counseling schedule has lightened. Because <laughs> if you come into my office, I always start with this. I'm not a therapist, I'm a theologian. Right? Right. How much are you paying to be here? What do you mean? How much are you paying to be here? Nothing. Okay, so my information I'm going to give you is worthless, but I will promise you this. I'm going to tell you the truth. Washing people's feet. But it can't all be done from a pastoral position. That's not how God created it you need to imitate Christ with those two or three godly people that God has given you. And if they're not godly, that's where you start. That's where you start. Well, my best friends aren't Christians. That's where you start. Well, my best friends are Christians, but they're just really struggling right there. Take off your robe. What if they walk away? Just like Judas. Then you're imitating Christ. It's what happens. I don't want to walk alone. You're not going to walk alone. God will provide you a Jonathan. It just may not be who you think. And by the way, don't be stupid, ladies. You should not find a man to do this with. Okay, can we just... That's misogyny. Whatever. Men and women are different. We don't need to be pouring into other people's wives, men. And men, it may stroke your ego, but this is a man-to-man -man thing and a woman-to-woman -woman thing. This is an adult-to-child thing. This is an adult woman to a teenage girl thing. Nobody does it better than Connie Dubo. She hates it when I call her out, so I like to do it to keep her humble. Nobody does it better than Connie Dubo. She's a, she is tough and loving, and they love her. It's what we do. And every one of you wish you had a Jonathan. So to get a Jonathan, you've got to be a Jonathan. So this morning, we're going to take communion in that vein. Men, I, I can have you come forward and prepare for this time. You understand that this always points us back to Jesus and why it's well with our soul, right? This morning I want you to understand that the broken bread, okay? The broken bread isn't actually about the forgiveness of your sin. <laughs> 
the, the, the blood is. The, the, this is just grape juice, for those of you who have never done this before. This is grape juice. And not even the most expensive stuff because we're super cheap and you're only getting a small amount. So the blood of Christ is where the sin is forgiven, but it's the this is Jesus. He said, this is my body broken for you. In other words, I lived. I know the pain. I was willing to go through the human experience so that you could have it well with your soul. But it's this. It's the blood of Christ. This is the imagery of that that actually removed our sin. So if Jesus would have just walked around but wasn't God and didn't die and rise again, there'd be no hope for us, right? You understand that? That's what this is about. This is what we're talking about this morning. This is you and I saying, if Jesus was willing to have his body broken for me, and I want to be like Christ, then I need to allow my body to be broken for others. I need to take off my robe, my pride, and I need to be willing to serve others. That's this. You can't do this, but you're called to do this. Get it? Sleeping? No? Yes? Good. That was the right answer. Let's pray. Father, I pray that our, our minds would turn to our lives and the people around us and husbands to wives, wives to husbands, parents to kids, friends to friends, Bible study class members to Bible study class members, teachers to teachers, teachers to students, teachers to... Father, help us to have Jonathans in our life, but to do that, it takes courage, both, both to wash feet and to have our feet washed. We need the courage to do this. I believe that in the church, this is where Satan is doing his best work today. He's doing it by keeping us all wrapped up in racial talk and all wrapped up in, in political talk. It keeps us from looking at each other. So help us to look at each other. And in the next few moments, Father, as we, as we take communion, I pray that we would listen to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead. <clears throat> I want you to take a few minutes. Yeah, go ahead. As they're passing it out, these poor guys, I do it different every time. As they're passing it out, I want you to think about who is a Jonathan in your life. Who could you depend on to wash your feet? Who could you depend on? Who, who is there that you've resisted, but you know is the right person? Who has God gifted you with? Would you talk to your father about that? Who, God, is my Jonathan? While you do that, please talk to him. I want, I want to talk to those who don't know the Lord because I want to explain this picture. A communion is uh, to remind the body of Christ that salvation is a gift from God. Because otherwise we get here and we talk about lots of good things like morality and marriage and stuff. Important things, but not the most important thing. So Jesus told the disciples to do this often to remember him by. Um, the body, I already mentioned the bread. It's, it's just matzah bread, and we break it up into small pieces to take. And, and, and we, we take it to remind ourselves that Jesus Christ was lived, and he understands our pain. He was willing to pay the price. In a few moments, we'll take this juice, and it's, it's the crimson color of blood. Obviously, it's grape juice. And, and we take that to remind us that it isn't through his, his faithfulness and his, his courage that he, we are saved. It's through his blood. He shed his blood. And it reminds us that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so as the people around you are praying right now and reflecting on what the Word of God said and what the Holy Spirit is saying to them, we want you to know that none of that stuff, that having a Jonathan in your life won't help you. You might as well have a barkeep. Without Jesus, it's all the same. The reason we want to become more like Christ is because of what He's done for us. We love Him. We believe His ways are best. and He's worthy of our trust in our life. 
If you have never accepted his offer to forgive you, today is the day of your salvation, your adoption. Call on the name of the Lord. Just, just tell him you know you're a sinner and he's the only one who can save you. The communion is not for you if you're not his child. Don't take, just pass. If you already took a piece of bread, elbow somebody next to you and just hand it to them. If you're home, this is not a religious thing. It's a reminder thing. And we encourage you today to join the family of God by accepting Jesus Christ's offer to forgive you. Well, how do I do that? Talk to him. He's listening. Talk to him. If you confess with your mouth that you're a sinner and he's the only Savior, you will be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So family, we often forget that Jesus gets it. He understands. So once a month, we take time out to remember that he understands the fear you have and the pain and the frustration of life, relationships, everything that you can imagine, he gets. And that's why we break bread together to remind each other that it's finished, took care of it. So family, let's take in remembrance of what he was willing to do for us. Father, thank you for coming, for living among us and helping us to grasp just how committed you were to saving us. That you didn't just float down, die, and go back up. You lived among us for 33 and a half years. If you could do that for us, then we could cry out to you when we're scared. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. your father as he washed your feet whose feet can you wash who in your world do you need to talk to do you need to take off your outer garment and get on your knees take their stinky feet and wash it it doesn't even just have to be about sin it can be about encouragement, praying focus, worldview. Who is God prompting you right now to courageously step out of your box and be their Jonathan?
not a lot of people who get to sit like this and look at you take communion. Uh, there's a lot of things pastors say they love, doing weddings or some with funerals. I think this is my favorite thing about pastoring. It warms my heart to see you taking time and remembering God. Gosh, I love you guys. And you better love me back because we're going to spend eternity together. What a privilege to be here in East Texas in the middle of nowhere where you can make brisket like nobody's business and be the ch children of the living God. It doesn't get any better than that, you guys. All because 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ left his throne at the will of his Father to seek and save us. black and white. We're precious in His sight, aren't we? Let's do this in remembrance of all He's done for us. Thank you, Dad. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. We're going to give you a five-minute break. And then we're going to talk family business. It's all good. Nobody's quitting. Nobody's being fired. God willing. Take a five-minute break. It's uh, seven after, so just before a quarter after, we're going to get started. You're not going to want to miss the beginning. The beginning's the best part.